Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need when you need it with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. One of my favorite thought exercises with folks who are hesitant to start is to have them draw a randomly shaped forest on a piece of paper, Mm. and then I will place a dot somewhere in it. And then I'll be like, without any additional information, if you were here, what would you do? Mm. And you can't get any additional information. It's not like Mm -hmm. you can climb a tree. Like, you just have to do something. What are you going to do? And the net net of it is like, pick a direction and fucking walk. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Rodney Evans, and I am joined by my co-host, Aaron Dignan. Hey, everybody. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the why and when of working agreements. But before we do that, we are going to do a little why and when check-in round. We are. Uh, The check-in question for today is, what was the last thing that really made you laugh out loud? So as I know a few other people are based on my Twitter TL, I am re-watching the television show Nathan For You. And it's a show where he is basically pretending to be a business consultant to small businesses in a way that is beyond hilarious and a little bit awkward, so you might not like it. But in the episode I was just watching before we came on, he has advised an old travel agent who knows that their business is going under to change the business to like a funeral home. And they don't have a lot of money, so instead of trying to buy a crematorium, he buys a pizza oven. (laughs) And in order to demonstrate that the pizza oven is effective, he makes a life-sized pizza person to load into it with sauce and cheese included. And I was just like on the floor. I was like, you can't write this stuff. But he did somehow. Your retelling of Nathan for you episodes is the only way I want to consume that show. I mean, I would go just line for line with you if if you let me. What about you? So yesterday... In the afternoon, I went over to my mom's house to play Mahjong, and my mom is not a drinker at all, but I asked for a glass of wine, and so she joined me. (laughs) And a glass of wine for my mom is like three martinis for a regular adult human being. Like me. And Yeah, exactly. You and my mom would be great drinking buddies, (laughs) non-drinking buddies. Anyway, so we're playing Mahjong, and my mom normally just wrecks shop she's Mm -hmm. very good at mahjong her brain very much works that way and it's very difficult for me to win a hand of mahjong and last night after about half a glass of wine she was just she was laughing (laughs) like she had tears running down her face i was just like i forgot what hand i'm making and she was just wasted from four (laughs) drops of red wine and it was so and you know when someone's laughing so hard that you just can't help yourself you can't not yeah and then you know and then the whole game sort of fell apart but it was really it was really really funny yeah she was i love that laughter is the answer so 
Laughter is, we need it right now. Yeah. All right. So today's topic proposed by Aaron is when do we need working agreements? When do they make sense? When do they help us? So I'm going to start by asking you, what's like the job to be done that you feel like agreements fulfill? Great question. <laughs> so, which is funny because <laughs> we wrote it together. I, I, I think it, it actually does a couple things at the same time. So one thing that it does is it gives everyone a chance to contribute to something, to a decision, to yeah. a direction, to a constraint on the entity. And so it's a good way to bring the collective intelligence to bear on the organization, which is great. It also serves the purpose of clarity. So we've talked a lot on this show about clarity and coherence and the importance of knowing what's true and, and what we've aligned on where we need that alignment. So agreements do a great job of that. And they're also just a really good resource for onboarding and sense making and bringing people in and out of a system, having a source of truth for what does need to be documented, what does need to be captured, however much that is, is just really useful at a utility level. Like, here's here's how we do this. Here's how we do things. We actually just onboarded someone this week on the Murmur side. And, and a lot of the questions that I got in the typical, like, how's it going conversation was just like, oh, there's an agreement on that. There's an agreement on that. There's an agreement on that. Mm -hmm. And suddenly it became really clear that we had thought about a lot of stuff. So I feel like that, you know, those are some of the roles and there are probably others that that you're aware of or that others listening are aware of. But the big stuff would be clarity, involvement, and, and you know, some sense of usefulness or utility for people that are moving in and out of a, of a system. Yeah, the two potential additions I would have in the propaganda kit for <laughs> agreement making are one... When people want to make system change and they totally fuck it up because they want to make like a big plan and map everything out and get very comprehensive and very mm -hmm. exhaustive, agreements are a really nice flip. It's a really mm. nice way to be like, don't do that. Don't go, don't go make a racy. Don't go make fractal okay. Don't whatever you're about to do that involves the word like cascade or rollout, <laughs> don't do it. Just get a group of people who Feel the thing, feel the tension, feel the lack of clarity, feel the confusion, feel the bottleneck. Get those humans together to make an agreement about something, to your point, about making it clear, making it coherent, et cetera. But it's also just like it's a way to give people a backpack so they feel like they're starting to make progress right. rather than doing the thing they always do that's going to get them more of what they've always gotten. Right. So I feel like agreements are a good vehicle for the sort of start by starting thing. And then the other thing is we so often talk about working on the aquarium and not on the fish and <laughs> looking at interpersonal tension as a source for what's going on in the OS. And to me, to me where that becomes reality is in agreement making. Right. So in, I'm going to say provocatively, I'm going to say in 95% of cases where there is a one-to-one -one interpersonal issue, <laughs> I believe that there is an agreement missing. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I'm feeling this way about you. Mm -hmm. But usually what's really going on is like, we are feeling this way about our lack of consent, agreement, coherence, understanding of our roles or of our compensation yes. or of our strategy or of our resourcing or whatever. And so often, like this is also 
just to get on my soapbox for a second, where I get really <laughs> frustrated with people who stay in the interpersonal sort of whining about stuff because I'm like, especially if you're in our system, I'm like, right. propose something. Stop yes. just being like, this person's an asshole. <laughs> Figure out what's actually going on and what you need and then propose an agreement to address it. Like, I'm only willing to attend to people's feelings for so long right. if they're not willing to wade into what is an agreement that would help me get over this. Yeah, I love that you brought that up, particularly because for me, it always feels like the jumping off point for finishing a round of nonviolent communication mm. is always coming back to requests and request. preferences, which end up being about behavior and agreements and, yeah. you know, structure. And so for me, the interpersonal is always about restoring authentic connection and uh, restoring some sense of empathy for each other as fellow travelers on this blue marble, that kind of thing. Once you have that restored through conversation, it does have to shift then to like, well, in order to meet my need, it would be really nice if you could match this request. And the request is usually like, use the use the tool differently or communicate with me in this way or, yes. you know, let's, let's prioritize this other thing or whatever it might be. So I, I think it's exactly right what you're saying there. The, the first thing you brought up, though, I'm interested to scratch out a little bit because I've heard you advise almost both sides of that polarity. Mm. And, and so on the one hand, yes, instead of going and doing something drastic or, or rough to the system, a proposal is a good way to start by starting and like get everyone involved and it gives people a backpack. On the other hand, I've also heard you advise people, don't rush to agreement when you can do an experiment or take individual action. Yeah. Right. And so I want to hear you talk about how you parse those mm. dynamics. I do do that. <laughs> Ooh, I wonder, let's figure out what the decision tree is for that. Yeah. Yeah. So because it's, you're totally right. And I'm not exactly sure what the intuition is behind the advice in each situation. I think where I don't want to rush to the what of the agreement mm -hmm. is where the tension hasn't been processed or shared. Mm. So we just went through an exercise where we're currently going through an exercise around prioritization of our own resources against yep. projects because there's more demand than there are human beings. Surprise. And initially there had been sort of a call for like, you know, make a mechanism, like just make a, just like make a spreadsheet, et cetera. Right. And I think that I like futzed around with some ways of making an agreement, but what needed to happen that now has is, is actually some like swimming in what the tension is and some understanding of what the problem space is. Right. And, and really like, I th maybe, maybe the tipping point here is also really making sure in some shared way that an agreement is going to get us something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think sometimes it's like, I feel attention about 
not being able to make this decision. I'm going to go write an agreement that says I can make this decision. (laughs) You're going to consent to it. And then we're going to be fine. And like, I think that works sometimes where it's just like, here's the thing that's already happening. Or here's the thing that I think could easily happen. I'm just going to codify it so I can go. go. But when it's something that's more complex or involves a lot of people or maybe hits a bunch of different parts of the OS, I feel like we need to swim in it a little bit and see like how much of this really could be solved by a thing. How much of this is just like, we need to share enough data so that the real problem emerges. So I guess my shorthand for where to go first is never do the exhaustive thing because that never (laughs) works. And only make the agreement when it's clear what an agreement could be. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be exhaustive. But like, I think my shorthand when I sit down to write an agreement, any kind, whether it's something very small or very large, is if it doesn't feel pretty obvious to me, and I feel like I'm kind of like forcing it or I'm really Mm -hmm. digging in my brain to be like, what could I say here? Mm -hmm. We're probably not there yet. And it's probably not going to resonate for the rest of the group if I'm having to really like author the shit out of it. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And I would just add to that layer cake, the intuition that I have about this dynamic that has been emerging as you're talking is that there are things where if you do an agreement and then take action, the the net result of it is mostly about you. Yeah. And, and so if it's like, I'm going to do this big elaborate agreement and then I'm going to go do the stuff that it kind of entails, whether that be decision rights or roles or process or policy or whatever, I I think in those cases, sometimes it's okay to start with the experiment or the individual action, because at the end of the day, it's just about you anyway. Right. And so if, of course, to your point, if you feel like you need the authority and you don't have it and you're unwilling to claim it, then, or you're, or you're constrained and you don't have it, then I think, of course, it makes sense to, to go right to governance. But if you do, in theory, have the freedom and what you're really doing is looking to agreements and proposals as a permission slip system. Yeah, that feels like mm, you could wait, you could go do and then capture. And to your point, it would be more coherent what you're capturing from the experience. Yeah. But if what you're sensing is more complex, more rich, more multifaceted, and is ultimately going to require the support and participation of a bunch of other actors, then it's like, uh, definitely don't try to just rip the bandaid and do that thing in a in an autocratic way. And also maybe don't try to just experiment your way to an answer, because frankly, I've tried that in many cases. And when it's framed as an experiment and it's lightly held, you often don't get the support and the follow through that you're looking for, where it's like, hey, everybody, let's try checking in on Mondays and it's crickets. (laughs) But if you say, look, let's let's meet, do some sense making and then actually build an agreement in pretty rapid succession about how we're going to do this, then it feels like it's our thing. Yeah. That's smart. If the agreement isn't going to be something that solves a tension or addresses a tension of most of the people who are going to consent to it, right? Maybe have a have a thought, like have, have a take a beat, it. maybe to see. Because because to your point, I do see agreements, particularly in groups that are new to doing something participatory around agreement yes. making. I do see a lot of agreements that are like, "Here's my axe to grind. I'm going to bring it to this group," and it doesn't. You know, a lot of those things get consented to because no one else gives a shit, but they exactly. don't make a lot of impact because they didn't really need they. 
it, it should have been a signal that like I should have had the authority to do that to begin with. Right. And and it's part of that wave of agreement making and participatory governance for every community that is about just describing reality in painstaking detail. Yeah, because everyone gets excited <laughs> about the clarity and they're like, oh, my God, we can have clarity that we all agree right. to. So let's have infinite clarity. And eventually you realize like that's that's org debt. That's burdensome. So instead, do we need to write it down? Yeah. And and I so I think that is definitely that's where things shift into more of a varsity mode. Can I give an example that I think yeah. gets at these two different ways? Oh, please, yes. So I was working with a client a few years ago, and the kind of business was very reliant on supply chain. And supply chain, for those of you who have worked in and around supply chain, it is an incredibly complex space. It is fascinating (laughs) when you dig into supply chain. I mean, especially now, but even back then, when you start to understand like, you know, commodity pricing and weather and seasons and how many things supply chain people are looking at in terms of logistics, it is just amazing. Anyway, I'm in a conversation with a bunch of leaders and the supply chain leader that is there. And one of the people who controls like the retail outlet, like one of the presidents is there. And they're having this conversation about a particular product. And I'm listening to this. And what I'm hearing is neither of them really wants to make the final call around purchasing (laughs) of this product. And so I was just like, because I was new and, you know, that's the great thing about being a new consultant in the system is that you can just be stupid and it doesn't really offend people because they don't expect you to know shit. Right. I was just like, I'm going to just time out. Whose decision is this? And they both got really, really quiet. And the supply chain guy goes, well, I've always thought it should be mine. Uh Uh-huh. And the president goes, I've been waiting 11 years to hear you say that. (laughs) And I was like. And then they hugged. Okay. That seems like an agreement to me. Like, okay, this, you know, pricing within this range or pricing within this market falls into this team's decision rights. Now we have an agreement around that. That felt like something that was very like, there's murkiness here. It's between two people that it is really impacting. And just writing something down was like, oh, thank God. But a couple of weeks, so I'm like feeling really great about that. A couple of weeks later, I'm with the whole supply chain team. Uh huh. And the head of supply chain is like, that worked so well. I want to do that kind of agreement making with this team around our whole pricing workflow. Uh, And I'm like, cool, let's do it. This is going to be awesome. It It was not awesome uh, because it was not a tension that was well felt and understood by everybody who was involved. Right. It was too complicated to make an agreement. Uh It was like a 70-step workflow that had 50 (laughs) branches off of it. There was no elegant thing that was going to hack at that. And it was... It was so many agreements inside of a monolithic agreement that it all just kind of fell apart. Yep. So I just use that as an example of like when I think it can work really well to make something clear and explicit and needed and it's missing and where it's like uh, that, that, that workflow conversation ended up being a good provocation that led to the work that needed to be done. But trying to tackle something like that as an agreement failed. Well, and and this brings me to the to the observation I've had recently in in customer conversations for Murmur, which have been people saying, you know, I'm not sure if we need a, a system like this right now, and and what would you know what would make me kind of jump over the fence and get started. And as we talk, what comes up is 
there are certain things that they are arguing about, unclear about, circling over and over again in their day to day that are uh, that they're aware of and that are present to them that mm-hmm. they're not thinking of as agreements. Yes. And so literally talking to someone the other day and they were like, you know, we're, we're probably early for this, that we love the idea. We're like totally on board at, in terms no, of scaling, not. but <laughs> this is not the right moment. We're busy. And yeah. I was like, what are you busy with? Well, we can't agree on which tools should be centralized and which tools should be decentralized in our stack. What right. should teams be allowed to pick? What should they not be allowed to pick? And why? And how does that all fit together? We're right. stuck on that. So we can't do so this. So we can't pick a tool. We can't and, pick this tool because we don't have an agreement for how to, we pick tools. Right. And so I said, I know this is going to sound really meta to you, but that's your first agreement. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like that's what you actually need. And I think to your point of these conversations, these two that you had, one of them, it was happening in the room, in the yeah. moment. And the other one was somebody being like, I'm going to make this happen. Yes, totally. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I often say to teams who are getting into this work, think about the decisions that come wearing different coats, but are the same kind of decision that get renegotiated every single day. Right. That's where you make one rule one time. And like, if you're a team of more than one person, you probably need agreements. Like on the team (laughs) that lives in this house, our agreement is Ed takes care of the dogs in the morning and I take care of the dogs after work. Are there exceptions to that? Absolutely. But when that's the working agreement, then every night as we're going to sleep, we don't have to say, are you going to do the dogs (laughs) in the morning? Because the rule is the agreement is that that's how we do it. And so now we only have to manage exceptions. Yeah. To that. We don't have to do it every day. And that's where people think agreements are heavy or unnecessary or whatever. But like, I don't need to have that conversation every day of my life with my husband. Right, right. We yeah, can talk about is, something else. There is a misperception about the heaviness or the or the unintended bureaucracy of having clear documented agreements that I think would be yeah. fun to talk about for a second mm. because it is another reaction that I get. There are obviously thousands of agreement zealots out there that are excited about this, but when you talk to the people that are more on the edge, they're like, mm, I don't know if the team would be motivated by this level of rigor or bureaucracy or adding, you know, mm-hmm. we want to be, we want to be fast and loose yeah. and we want to be, you know, chaotic and, and free and, and innovative. And it, it, it always strikes me as funny because there's this perception that by clarifying something, we're creating red tape. For me, that's only true if the things we clarify are set in stone and are not changed and are not loved and are not refreshed. And if we set a lot of things in stone, if we get a lot of things stacked on top of each other, when really what we're talking about in many cases are like seven to 10 simple, short, elegant working agreements for a family or a team or an organization that is enough to get the ball rolling and give everybody what they're needing. So it is, yeah, it is a challenge, I think, to make that psychic shift. Yeah. I also think that there's something in that that's just a real misunderstanding around the value of discipline. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you want to be really innovative in the kitchen, 
because you're a cook that has a lot of creativity, probably every time you unpack the dishwasher, you don't put the dishes in a different place. (laughs) Like, because you're probably not like, you know what, I'm going to come up with a more creative dish when I can't find the fucking knives. Like, that's not... And that's what we're talking about. It's like, I want teams to be free and creative and innovative. And to do that, you need to have like your fundamentals down so that you're not spending your energy on those cycles. Exactly. It's, it is literally where are you playing jazz and innovating and improvising and where are you relying on scales? And somehow there seems to be this misunderstanding that all of business activity, all of organizational activity is the same in nature. And it's like, no, having clarity about how we make decisions as an organization is not going to stop us from being innovative. It's literally going to do the opposite. It's going to enable us to be more innovative because we have that speed and that capacity and that autonomy. And when you look at organizations that are recognized for being highly innovative, they have this nice balance of intense constraint with intense openness. Yes, exactly. And it makes me think, you know, I used to work with a lot of people who had been in the military. And I I think that there are areas of the military that are really genius at this. And when you talk to people who, for example, were on SEAL teams, like SEAL teams are incredibly self-managed, very adaptive. Obviously, they are dropped into situations (laughs) that they have like very little idea exactly what's going to go down. And such close adherence to the fundamentals that allow them to be flexible in that way. And it's like, you know, whether you're talking about a SEAL team or a sports team or any high-performing team, they don't decide that day that they're going to tie their shoes a different way. Like that just doesn't, that doesn't create adaptivity. That just creates chaos. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because I have been this year, as you're well aware, playing some video games that are team-based and collaborative. And what I've learned through just trial and error and observation is that there are different people, people show up and play differently based on the agreements that they carry with them and make with their teammates. Mm. And so you will land in a lobby with two other random strangers who don't have their microphone on, won't communicate and don't have a strategy and you will get crushed in the game. But then you land in a room with two other people that happen to be friends and are partied up. And they're like, here's how we play. We communicate. We stay 10 meters away from each other. We always pursue in the same direction. We call out what happens as it happens. They have a whole set of working agreements that are baked into their style of play. And the pros, the people that literally make millions of dollars a year doing these things, have that stuff to a level that is so extreme that you can hardly believe it. Like the, the rules and the norms around how we communicate in these games at the million dollar level are if you break the rule, you're gone. Yeah. Like you are you can't even play at that level as opposed to someone that's just like, oh, I just want to freewheel it. I'm just going to say I'll just show up and be awesome. No, right. you won't because it's right. a team sport and you can't perform at peak level in a team sport without agreements about how to integrate, how to yeah. operate. That brings up for me also a a fun real life example, which is when I worked in a big company a long time ago and we had like an important call that Mm -hmm. many of us were going to be attending with a client or with the (laughs) company we were buying or something like that. Yep. There would be a, there would be pre-gaming and a scripting. So it was like when they talk about the due diligence, Rodney, that's you. Uh And when they talk about the finance, that's me. And when they talk about the valuation, that's her. And we did all of this 
pre-strategizing that just frankly made everybody feel really nervous. And and then we were all just sitting there like listening for our part so that we didn't, <laughs> you know, fuck it up. And yesterday I was on a new client call and just slacked the couple of other people to say, hey, I'm not going to be on this. It doesn't make sense for me to be steering. Right. Will one of you throw it to me if you want to? That person was like, got it. And then that was the whole rule. The whole rule (laughs) was she was steering. And when she wanted one of us to talk, she She threw it it. to us. So we paid attention. And it worked really, really well. So it wasn't, it's like, it's a cool flip, I think, in situations like that, because it gets you out of over planning, over constraining in a way that's not useful, but it creates enough clarity that everybody can play. Exactly. And if nothing else, if each team would simply ask, what could we clarify that would enable better performance and yeah. what would actually over-constrain and just have that debate as part of their governance process, yeah. they, they're in the right frame of mind, which right. is to say, you know, if we have no idea what we're doing going into that meeting, it's going to be improvisational entirely, and it right. might work and it might not. It'll probably just be inconsistent. Yeah. But if we have too much, to your point, if we're at a you know investment bank level of clarity, it's going to be really dry and inauthentic and and crispy and not great. Yeah. And so there's some in between that we have to hunt down. And if we don't make agreements again, now we get often into the realm of some stuff that's kind of unpleasant. So yeah. again, in using this example, now it's like. Oh, well, is Rodney just talking because like she's the white woman on the call? Right. Is Rodney talking because she holds some role that she considers to have authority in this situation? <laughs> it's yeah. like now all of the now, this is where like interpersonal stuff might creep in in the absence of just having clarity. Yep. Where it's like, no, the clarity is Rodney's not going to talk because it doesn't make sense. And yeah. so and, and now there's also not a story of like, why did you leave me hanging out there? You knew them before I did. Why didn't you say anything? It's like, we've already made this agreement. So now no one, you know, nobody has to make up stories for why things went the way they did. They went the way we planned for them to go by making one simple agreement. Exactly. And if nothing else, I think it would be lovely if teams that are starting to consider how and if they make agreements, just keep keep a post-it pad next to you all day for a day. Oh, yeah. And just as soon as you notice that there is either a spirited debate, discussion, you know, sort of clarification conversation happening, like the commodity pricing supply chain one, uh-huh. or you notice a feeling in yourself of this could be going better. Yeah. Right? Like this, it, something about this isn't working. I can feel it in my body. You just flag those. And it's not that every single one of those needs to be in agreement, but that's your consideration list. Yeah. To just say, like, mm, this is where we, don't know or don't agree or things could be better or different. And yeah. now I get to ask the question of, well, what might shift that? And now yeah. you're in that experimental mindset. And some of the shifts might come from immediate written agreements. And some of the shifts might come from, I'm just going to try something different next time. And to your point, that thing that you arranged was emergent. You That was not an agreement we have at the ready that like before every meeting, we of all course. agree what roles we're going to have. It was just a thing you sensed and played into. And over time, that might become a norm. It might become an agreement. It might become part of training. It might go away. Yep. But like you're playing the game of sensing, experimenting and agreeing. And that's everyone's job. Yeah. 
I am excited we're talking about this because, like, the signals thing was something that I wanted to bring up. Mm. And I think you hit on a lot of them. The shorthand for me, usually if I'm in whatever situation I'm in, whether it's a home or a client or a ready thing, is when something feels either circular, where I'm like, we are... We've been here before. We're swirling the drain on this, (laughs) or we're... Uh, usually the question that pops into my head is like, why is this so hard? Uh-huh. And when I'm in a conversation, I'm like, why is this so hard? It's usually because we're missing an agreement. Yes. Yes. And and complex adaptive systems, when they're well-tuned, either by nature or by design, have more of an effortlessness to them. Yes. They totally. just do. Like, it just hums. And that was always my biggest surprise, I think, coming into this work more than a decade ago was the feeling of things are going well and I don't know why and there's Mm. an effortlessness to it Mm -hmm. that was just very unsettling because I was never used to that feeling before, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is like, this is just working. And it's the same way in relationships, actually, because I've been in relationships that are just full of intensity and struggle. And then in other relationships where it's like, this just kind of works. Yeah. You know, like we just kind of work. Yeah. And it doesn't mean we don't have edges or whatever, but like there's this synchronicity that happens when that stuff is banging that is really, really cool. Well, it's funny because yesterday in the car, I was listening to the first ever episode of this podcast. You were not. I was. How funny. It just started playing because I listened to the most recent episode and then number one just started and I was on a long trip and I was just like, this will be funny to listen to. And it was the episode on ego and identity with Dr. Gareth Holman. And one of the things we talked about was how what you resist persists. And I feel like that's it's very true in in this dynamic too where it's like if you're if you're sensing the thing that gives you a feeling in your stomach or makes you think why is this so hard or feels like we're talking past each other or we're going in circles or whatever rather than trying to like get like get rid of that or avoid it or be like let's talk about this later or let's like you know take this offline or <laughs> i'm just going to go write something out like rather than doing that because that's just those are all just avoidance behaviors. It's just like what what could we agree to that would yeah. cut through this thing that feels like a little mini tornado. Yeah. It is about taking some kind of small action and in in many cases to your point about the overly rich supply chain problem, it's not trying to boil the ocean but just to say like is there is there some micro agreement in here that we could start with that would like move things forward and unlock some possibility and as we know from all of our many bajillion conversations about complexity sometimes even though the broader system you're trying to fix is much larger if you just unblock that one little shift other things will happen and yeah. cascade and emerge and people will notice other things and so rather than trying to be so smart yeah. Just being smart enough to say, is there one little thing that we could micro agree on? Yeah. And then we'll we'll see where that leads and yeah. keep kind of building and tuning the stack from there. I What that brings up for me is a thing about tolerance. Mm-hmm. So there are two emotional things that I notice for myself around agreement making. One is okay. <clears throat> it does take some courage to be the one to propose something. 
Yes, it does. You know, and there's identity stuff in that that is not to be overlooked and reputational stuff and all the stuff. So all just stuff. know that, like know that as much as the the butterfly in your stomach might tell you an agreement is needed, you'll have more of them when you propose one and just float it into the space to see what people think. So that's just like one thing to say. That's not totally. a counter indicator that you're doing the wrong thing. It's just true. The other thing is, You have to know and sit in. This is something I'm working hard on right now for myself because I'm a perfectionist and I'm super hard on myself is sometimes when the path isn't super clear, you have to just do something and know that it's not going to be right and that it's going to be messy. And everybody says that shit all the time. But the lived experience of being the person who made the agreement that people are living into and they're still dissatisfied with is harder than it sounds. So like I proposed a sort of team of teams level meeting for a group that I'm a part of and there was general agreement, alignment, consent to doing it. And in the first meeting, there were some questions around like, what is, you know, (laughs) there was a desire for more agreement. Like what is the purpose of this? And what is the purpose of this group? And what are these things, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to do it yet. I just want to see what this group wants to talk about, needs from each other, finds useful before we start constraining ourselves. Very easy to say. But then when the meeting is wobbly and some people are like, this isn't a good use of time. And (laughs) some people are like, we shouldn't do this anymore. It's it's hard. It's, It's hard. So I'm only saying that out loud because it shouldn't stop you from making a mess. Because that's how you get feedback from a system right. in complexity is by poking it. But know that like every time you poke a system, the system isn't going to be like, you did that exactly right. And I'm fucking psyched. <laughs> One of my favorite thought exercises with folks who are hesitant to start is to have them draw a randomly shaped forest on a piece of paper. Mm. And then I will place a dot somewhere in it. And then I'll be like, without any additional information, if you were here, what would you do? Mm. And you can't get any additional information. It's not like Mm -hmm. you can climb a tree. Like, you just have to do something. What are you going to do? And the net net of it is like, pick a direction and fucking walk. (laughs) Like, that. Like you just, you know, maybe it'll be the shortest path. Maybe it'll be the longest path. But for sure, if you walk, you'll get out. Yeah, and for exactly. sure, if you don't, you won't. You won't. Exactly. And so that's the bottom line is, you know, and I think along the way, sometimes because we have high standards and because we have the power to change, people will question the walking and of be course. like, "Is it, should we really be doing this? Is this a good use of time? And it's like, well, are we intentionally experimenting to get signal and to move forward? Yes. Then yes, it is a good use of time. Yeah. Are we repeating patterns over and over that we know don't work? Well, then that's a different story. Exactly. And exactly. so, yeah, that's that's a big, <laughs> a big fork in the road for me. And incidentally, for the people who are curious, when it came time to retrospect that team of teams level meeting and talk about what aspects of it were serving at what was missing and what wasn't, it basically shook out into a very obvious operating rhythm that right. we consented to in about three seconds, <laughs> which if we had tried to design at the beginning, wouldn't have worked. Right. So this is my point about like the... You know, Mm -hmm. the messiness and the loop and the experimentation is like, it doesn't always feel good while you're in the mess. And also, that's like an important part of it. Like sometimes as you're walking out of the woods, you're like getting blisters and not going as fast as you want. And then when you get to the end of the forest, you can draw a map. Right. 
And at some level, that's part of why I think it's important to have an agreement about how you use agreements. Oh, because shit. So you are Captain Meta head today. I, it's turtles all the way down Uh-oh. today. All right. But the reason I say this is there are some organizations I've been in where in order to do an experiment, we need to get some consent. Yeah. And we need to get people kind of lined up to do that and get them in the headspace to do that. Yeah. And so it can be useful to even have a three sentence proposal to get everybody aligned around this experiment we're going to try. And there are other organizations that are further along, perhaps, in this journey and where there's a lot more understanding and empathy of the the rhythms and like figure eights that we've just been talking about mm-hmm. where you don't have to do that. You can just yeah. be like, hey, everybody, this is like this is what we're doing. We're playing this game of let's try something to get signals so that we can find our way to an agreement let's experiment, let's, you know, rinse and repeat. And and that's really nice to have that shorthand. But right. if you don't have it yet in your organization, I think it's perfectly acceptable to have two different kinds of agreements or two different layers of agreement. One is the very short but very critical agreement of things we're going to try, experiments we're going to do that we that we feel like we need to get a little bit more kumbaya about because of our power structure and how fucked up it is. And then later on and potentially as a result of those experiments the agreement that becomes a more lasting substantive part of the operating system Mm -hmm. which is you know the working agreement as we traditionally talk about it i like that i've been doing that in a slightly different way Mm. that i'm curious for your take on which is related but parsed in two So rather than getting at the agreement making and agreeing to do agreement making exactly, I have been recently starting with, here is the role each of us on this team will hold that is about participating in new ways of working and experimenting with them. Uh And then this is how we will consent to the experiments or agreements we are trying. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't know. It's it. Or I don't really know yet if that's working. But basically, hmm. the the pattern that I'm trying to break is the person who brings us in and is excited, feeling responsible for it working. Yes. And yes. so I'm trying to break that pattern and just on the first day be like, "Hey, are we all going to hold this role, which mm-hmm. is new way of working team member, <laughs> or yep. like whatever you want to call it? Because if you don't consent to that, let's stop now." Yeah, you got to wear the ribbon. And yeah. the and funnily enough, I mean that role that you've invented is just an agreement. It's yeah. you know, it's the first agreement essentially. It's the first agreement. Underlying God. thing. So I do I do feel that. I, I feel that what you're saying does align and it is it's just a flavor of it, which is we may need a few agreements that are in place, whether we call them that or not. Who gives a shit whether we call them that or whether we you know right. how we document them? But we may need a few agreements in place in order to make space. Yes. For the actual agreement making process to unfold. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, like and that is key. You know, the the role might be the roof and the way we do it might be like the walls and the decision process for consenting might be the floor. Yeah. And then like the agreements are probably the rest of the furniture. But we might need a couple of things. I feel like I used to come in much hotter and just be like, let's let's draft <laughs> shit. Like let's go. I'm get I think I'm getting more conservative in my old age. And also just now I'm more like I'm a little more training wheelsy just because I don't know. I'm I'm starting to accept for real the go slow to go fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm yeah. starting to like get square with my own impatience. And the, uh, sometimes a little bit of that a little bit of that kind of foundational work goes a long way. It does. And honestly, working on 
a system for agreements has been a really interesting exercise in figuring out what role does the software play in being those agreements, right? Yeah. The foundational, like, how does this work? Part of it is often hidden in a tool, but yeah, it's there. I want to hear more about how you're thinking about that. Well, essentially, the the place that we started was a little bit more around the idea of we want to be as open-ended and generalizable and accepting of different ways of thinking as possible. Mm-hmm. And where we've landed from user feedback is we need to be way more opinionated. Mm-hmm. That essentially what people want is they want that foundational structure that allows agreement making to happen in a certain way, in a healthy way, to be baked in. Yeah. And to not be hidden and baked in, but baked in and explicit. So that it's like, hey, welcome to the party. This is a party where we have past apps and everybody wears a hat and everybody has to talk to three people. And that's the party. And yeah. so now now we can you can decide if you want to play or not. But if you do decide to play, the structure is in place for you to be successful. And I think because you and I and the people we hang out with spend a ridiculously stupid amount of time thinking and talking about this stuff, mm. we forget how much work it is to build a mental model for an operating system and how it could or should be and all the flavors and options and what is an agreement and how is an agreement and all that stuff. Totally. And and the secret reality that like for most people, that's not their passion. Their passion is the thing they're building, the thing they're trying to create, the thing they're trying to do. And they know that the way they're trying to do it in terms of that OS is not working, but yeah. they're not going to make it their job to become brave new work nerds. I know. So what they're saying is like, look, if you can give me a compelling case that this is a better way of working, I'm game. And then can you just hold my freaking hand? Yeah. And so that's been a big pivot for me. Well, I feel like that's the same thing that's emerged at the ready over the last six months where we've been much more like, these are foundational agreements. Just do them. Don't get don't get creative on us. And also to your point, I feel like one of the biggest aha moments I've ever had on this podcast was when Bill Anderson from Roche was here and he was talking about how not everyone finds this work fascinating. And I was like, what? Huh? <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's, but, but I think you're exactly, exactly right. And so, you know, whether that's attention or interest or passion or anything else, when people don't see the how of work as, an interesting or pivotal part of their job, then just keeping it unconstrained doesn't get you far. No. And and this really links back to the Shuhari framework that we occasionally talk about on this show. And for most people, they are well served and satisfied to be operating in the shoe domain of just yeah. like, give me the basic rules of the road of what it looks like to do this well so that I can finish curing cancer. Yeah. Right. Because right? that's what I'm actually doing. <laughs> Right. You know, and and I think that that's how we collaborate across networks is some of us are organizations who are obsessed about curing organizational ills Uh and some of us are curing cancer and some of us are building sneakers. And like the idea is that these things can actually fit together if we're willing to clarify what are those constraints, what are those basic principles, those rules of the road that are shoe level which does not take away from the ha and the re. So right. if you are listening and you're a 20-year sociocracy expert, we see you. Yes. Like, that's cool. You can be operating at the re level and reinventing the way the consent process works. Knock yourself out. And, and we would love to hear about that. But most people wouldn't. And yeah. so what do they do? Right. 
So besides the more meta agreements of we are going to make agreements and this is how, if you think of those as the containers, what is the starter pack of contents? What are the first four to five agreements that you think every team needs? Well, we did a little tweeting about this late last year. And and the proposal that we put out to the community was, are these the right seven? And it was purpose, principles, priorities, decisioning or how we make decisions, feedback, meetings, and apps and tools, how we use tools, what tools we use, all that kind of stuff. And we got a lot of responses. Some people felt like they had more to add and, and there were some really good ideas that came back. But those seven felt like if you don't have clarity about that stuff, it's going to be it's going to be rough sledding. And once you get the ball rolling on those, you're going to have ideas for mm. the other sorts of things that might come along. What do you Great. think about that? <laughs> like, sounds good. It's yeah, a- you're sold. Yeah. <laughs> um, so easy. Yeah. Okay. I I get why those are the starter pack seven. I am a hard plus. One. I'm hard commit on <laughs> meetings. Apps and tools, decisions. I do think that with principles and purpose, I often find that those things are a little forced if it's a new team. Yeah. So a lot of times I like to help a team to understand what's what its work is and then come back to a purpose and principles because I think sometimes if it's an existing team and especially if it's a cross-functional team that's been hanging out together and just sort of like treading water, I think purpose is a dope agreement to make. Same with principles. If you're launching something new and part of the work of the agreement is to get to clarity where there is none, I think sometimes you have to start at like a slightly lower altitude and come back to that. It depends so much, too, on how the team is chartered. So if it's yes. created by another team and they have a sense of what the hell the intent is, then it could be quite simple to have a purpose, as we've done with a lot of our sub circles. But if it's you know something that's emergent or that has existed for a long time and then is reconfigured or is cross-functional with like a project objective, it can be a little murkier. So, so I think, yeah, mileage may vary. We've ended up taking an agreement type approach inside Murmur. So we have foundational strategy, process, policy, norm, meeting, decision, measure, role, charter, which Mm -hmm. aren't even as specific as saying like rituals or habits or remote work or priorities or things like that. Because to your point for, you know, for each team, it may vary and they may have different ways of talking and thinking about that stuff. The important part is just to start with what's alive. Like we've talked about this entire episode. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, when we didn't get into in this episode, which we'll do a whole thing on in the future, is I find sometimes with teams that are sort of in crisis, starting with agreements about around roles before mm-hmm. we do anything else, like gets enough of the air out of the overfilled tire that we can start driving. Right, right. Because it's like, if we don't get clear on this, nobody's going to talk to each other. We're never going to get this party started. (laughs) So like, let's just figure out if we have the people in the room who know what they're doing here and what roles we need to even ponder our purpose. Anyway, to your point, start with what feels juicy and a little barfy in your stomach and go from there. (laughs) Speaking of roles, I have the role of drawing this episode to a close. I don't want to. I could do this forever. Wrap it up. All right. Uh, If you all like what you're hearing, 
please review us. We would like that. Or tell a friend or two about our show. And also please ask them to actually listen to it. That would be great. (laughs) Don't just tell. Uh, A quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something. Change something.